Welcome to Lakeshore today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're glad you're with us today. Anyone that's connecting with us online, we are so glad that you found us and connected with us there. And if you're in our area, we hope you'll come and visit with us soon. We are in a series that we've been in for several weeks now, going straight through the book of James. Uh, a blueprint for making faith work, how to live out our faith. And James is so practical in teaching us how to live out our faith on a day-to-day walk with Jesus. So I, I have loved this series. And I'm, if you missed any of it, you can go back to our website, lakeshorechristian.com. You can uh, go back and, and listen to any of the messages that you might have missed. Uh, but we're glad that you're here with us today. Back in 1927, a guy named John Hartman decided to bring his soft drink product to China. He thought that was a great market. He could really uh, do well. Uh, Other American soft drinks weren't really very present there yet. So he thought this is a great business opportunity. So he went there and he decided, since he didn't know the language at all, that he would advertise with pictures. And he started in what was then Peking. And, and he, in Peking, on almost every corner, he put up these, uh, like, billboards with these pictures on it. It started with a picture of a guy that looked like he was dying of thirst in the desert. That was the first picture. The second picture was this same guy drinking a bottle of his soda with his brand on it that everybody could see clearly. And then the third picture, the one on the far right, was a picture of him being revived and jumping and skipping and having a great time. But his soda didn't sell. And he was really confused and upset. So finally he decided to hire an advertising agency in Peking. And the guy met with him and said, he showed him what he had been doing, the ad that he had put all over. He said, well, you have to remember something here in China. We read from right to left. (laughs) It's one thing to plan. It's another thing to plan wisely, right? I I mean, all of us have some kind of a plan. Even if it's not a plan, that's your plan, right? Even if you fail to plan, that's your plan. I'm just not going to plan. So... All of us have some kind of plan. The the question is that James wants us to address today is will we plan wisely with the life that God gives us, with the opportunities that we have, with the limited time available for each of us, are we going to plan wisely? And we're going to pick up here in James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, and look at four basic principles that James shares with us on how to plan wisely. And the first principle, I think, is it should be obvious to everybody. We should always think of this, but we don't. And that is we need to acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all of our planning. Look at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now just think about that plan for a minute. That sounds like the typical American business plan, right? I came up with this idea. I got this business. I want to get it out there. I want to I really uh, flood the market and get the word out and get people to buy or participate or whatever it is to pay me for my services. It's the typical American business plan, and there's nothing wrong with that. You see, I think America is getting bashed a lot for things that are really not things that ought to be bashed. Free market enterprise is a good thing. Capitalism is a good thing if it's kept in check with God's 
oversight and teaching, okay? That's not a bad thing at all. In fact, that's how our nation became so prosperous. Now, obviously, we didn't do everything right. We made a lot of mistakes. Obviously, we could do better. All of that's true, but that doesn't mean we need to trash our country because mistakes were made. It's still a great country, and I'm very grateful for it. But here's the problem with the American dream. Sometimes we make plans like that, never considering the sovereignty of God. Never considering that God is really the one with all authority. Sovereignty could be defined this way, supreme power or authority. Supreme power or authority. I want you to do well and make a lot of money if you recognize God's supreme power and authority over your life. Because then you can do so much good in the world. You can make such an impact. Now, you can make an impact without making a lot of money, too. I'm not talking about that. I'm not ruling that out. I'm saying if you are blessed to make a lot of money, man, what, what an impact you could have with that if you don't leave God out of that scenario, that picture, that planning that you've been doing with what you're going to do with all of that. So he, he's saying there is a power greater than you, believe it or not. There is an authority that you all have to answer to, that I have to answer to, believe it or not. Here's the thing I know. Even if you are an atheist, you will still have to answer to that authority according to the clear teaching of the Word of God. I believe God's Word to be true, which I believe then makes it clear that there is someone greater than us who is over everything created it all, made it all, sustains it all. In Acts 17, beginning with verse 24, remember we looked at this before, uh, Paul is, is defending the one true God and, and, and revealing the one true God. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And he adds this, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, for some people, the idea of a sovereign God is scary. They are afraid to admit that that's true, that they're going to have to answer to a supreme ruler, a supreme authority in their lives. But God's intent behind this was never for us to have that kind of fear. What he wants instead is for us to reach out to him and get to know him because he's not far from any one of us. And when we get to know him... I know for me personally, and for a lot of people I know, as I've gotten to know him better, I'm more and more thankful all the time that he's the one in charge. Not me, not the government, not the culture. God is the supreme ruler and authority. And I'm glad he is because I know a lot of things about God that I've learned from the Word and from experience, I, I've learned how wise He is. I've learned how loving He is. I've learned how present He is and, and how He uses His presence and His power and His wisdom for our good because of His love. And when you know those things about God, you're thankful that He is the supreme ruler 
and authority over everything. He's sovereign. Romans 12, verse 2 is part of my life verse. And remember, it says this, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he says this about God's will. Listen. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you know that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect, and you connect that with the fact that he is the supreme ruler with all authority, then you start to welcome his rule and authority into your life. You want his will to be done in your life. You want to submit to and conform to the will of a God like that, of a supreme authority like that. In fact, what it does for me is it helps to eliminate anxiety for me. It really does. It doesn't mean I don't ever worry, but when I start worrying, I remind myself, and I go to Scripture, and I go to prayer, and I remind myself, guess what? He's got this. I don't have to have it because he does. My wife's favorite saying is, I don't know how, but I know you. I know you. That's the important thing. So, so God has that supreme rule and authority. And, and in light of that, Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, he's, got, he's the supreme ruler, the supreme authority, and he, in his wisdom and in his love, prepared in advance good stuff that he wants us to do while we're here on this earth. All right, so the creator and sustainer of all things has a plan for your life. And for my life. And it's good. And it's pleasing. And it's perfect. Why wouldn't we just start doing what he said we should be doing? Why shouldn't we just start living out in obedience the plan? God's will for our lives. So we can do the good while we're here that God planned for us to do. Well, that's the first thing. We need to make sure that we acknowledge the sovereignty of God with our plans. The second principle is this. Be realistic about your life. Be realistic about your life. Look at verses 14 and 15. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Remember, they said, what we're going to do here is go to this city. We're going to work. We're going to make money, and and we'll be there for a year. Uh, They got those plans. Now, there's nothing wrong with those plans, but here's what he reminds us of. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. That's your annual plan. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life, he says? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This week, I knew I was going to be uh, teaching this lesson. And uh, Sue Ann and I uh, drink tea regularly, and we like to have tea out on our own back patio. And so uh, I, I noticed it this last time. She had made some tea, had it on a pot, in a pot out there. And when she poured the tea in my cup out in the open air out there, I saw the mist rise off the cup. I paid attention to it, and I counted how long it lasted. 1,001, 1,000, it was gone. Didn't even make it to 1,002 completely. He says, that's what our lives are like in comparison to eternity. You see, life on this earth is like this compared to eternity, which is like this. So we've got to keep that in mind when we're making our plans. The reality of our lives 
we appear here for just a little while. So we ought to be saying, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, I know people that take this verse and abuse it. They put that phrase with everything they say and do. Could you pass me the salt? The Lord willing. <laughs> you see, he's not giving us a phrase to say. He's giving us a mindset to have, to understand. He's not saying it's wrong to make plans. Jesus made plans. The disciples made plans. It's not wrong to make plans. You just have to make plans in light of the fact that there is a sovereign God and His will may be different than your plans. And that's okay. In fact, that's good. Because he's wiser than us. He knows more than us. He, he has a, a, a big picture view that we don't have. He's got a better plan than we do. So if our plans don't work out, but we're still obedient to God, that means his plan has a chance to work, and his plan's always going to be best anyway. So we need to be thinking, if the Lord's will, yes, we'll do those things. There's three realistic facts about life I want to give you right now. Okay, Number one, it is brief. It is brief. Psalm 90, verse 10 through 12, it says this. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us then to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Notice what he said. He's giving an average here. On average, you're going to live 70, 80 years. You know what the average lifespan in America is right now? 79 years. Still accurate. Psalms was written that long ago. And that's still the average lifespan for human beings on the earth. Now, you know people that live longer than that. You know people who don't make it that long. That's why that's the average, right? That's an average. It's not a guarantee. It's not saying everybody's going to live to 70 at least. That's not what he's saying. He's saying on average, you've got to think about that. Now, when you're, when you're 14... 80 years old sounds so, so ancient, doesn't it? 40 years old sounds ancient when you're that age. You think, I got plenty of time to do this and to do that. I'll get to that later. There's always going to be later more time for me to do those things. But it goes just like that. And those that are sitting in the audience today, we've got people here over 80, over 90 as part of our church family here. We need to know that even at that age, as they look back, they think, where did the time go? It went so fast. And he wants us to think about that. Life is brief. We need to number our days and, and make the most of our days. That's what he means by numbering our days. Make the most of the days that you have. Life is not only brief, it's also uncertain. There's so many examples of this I thought of when I was preparing this message. One of them came to my mind. I was watching the All-Star game recently, baseball game, and it reminded me, I thought about back to uh, an event back in 1989, the World Series that year. It was called the Battle of the Bay. That year, the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants both made it to the World Series. Two local teams, not far apart. And 
the Oakland A's had won the first two games. And there was talk of a sweep. And the Giants were really trying to gear up to win one. And this game was going to be at Candlestick Park, right? So as people are getting ready for the game, the parking lot was full. The stadium was full. The announcers on television were getting ready. The game was supposed to begin at 5.30. They're doing their intro. And at 5.04 p.m. with live cameras, everything changed. Watch Turn out of Tim McCarver, and you know, Tim, we talked in game one, the final score was 5 nothing, but there was a key early play involving Terry Kennedy dropping a throw from Will Clark at the plate. We go back to game two, the score was 5-1, to one, but there were two key plays early in that one as well. Well, you don't often think of key plays in a 5-1 to one ball game, but let's go back to the top of the third inning. Will Clark the batter, the Giants have not had the lead in these two games, a 3-2 count, a split finger fastball by Mike Moore pounced on by Terry Steinbach, the Oakland catcher, but look at the tough throw that he had to complete the play with Brett Butler running between him and Clark. F flash forward to the bottom of the fourth inning. Dave Parker barely, by inches, just misses a home run. Candy Maldonado with the hesitation, allowing Jose Canseco to score, and he fails to get Dave Parker at second base, so the Oakland A's take... The broadcast was interrupted by an earthquake. It was a major earthquake. 6.9 on the scale. It rocked the whole San Francisco Bay region. And though the stadium withstood the shaking, other parts of the Bay Area were not that fortunate. It only lasted 15 seconds. More than 3,000 people were injured in that earthquake. 67 people died. It was just an average day. A day they were going to the ball game. Everybody was tuning into the World Series that was at home. Just another day. They got up that day thinking it was going to be just another day. You could think of one bigger than that, right? September the 11th. 2001 that morning started like any other morning workers started arriving at the World Trade Center the Pentagon people were boarding airplanes United Flight 93 American Airlines Flight 11 United Airlines Flight 175 uh, American Airlines Flight 77 19 Islamic terrorists orchestrated attacks on the United States the first signs of disaster appeared at 8.45 a.m. There were reports that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center and cameras were turned on it. And they're just talking about how this looks awful. We don't know what happened. And while they were reporting, another plane came into the other tower. Friends, over three, about 3,000 people at the time were killed. Others died later, and thousands of others were injured in one attack. It was just a normal day. But that's how fragile and brief life can be. You see, we don't need to be living scared of that every day. That's not the point. The point is we need to live with the understanding that Life here is so temporary. And yet we give so much of our time and energy and resources to things that are temporary. When really, we need to be looking eternally. 
Life is uncertain. It's also, and I don't want to disappoint you here, but it's insignificant. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) Our lives are really insignificant without God. That's the caveat. Let me ask you if you recognize these names. James Sherman, Charles Fairbanks, Thomas Marshall, Charles Dawes, Charles Curtis, Charles Garner, Henry Wallace. Most of you will not recognize a single one of those names. Yet those seven men served as vice presidents of the United States not that long ago. The second highest office in the land. And not much time has passed and we don't even remember their names. That's how insignificant the things of this world really are. Let me ask you, can you name any Olympic athlete that finished fourth in your lifetime? Unless they were your brother or sister or, or, or son or daughter, you probably don't know, do you? I don't either. I can't name a single one without looking. I could Google it, right? But I don't remember it. Think about that. They were some of the most elite athletes in the world. They trained their whole lives for that. And they sometimes by a fraction of a second missed being on the podium and nobody remembers their name. And yet they were the fourth best in the world at their sport. And nobody remembered their names. You see how we can give so much to something that just doesn't last? There'll come a time where people will drive by and see the sign Lakeshore Christian Church and there'll be a couple in the car together and say, you know, I remember my grandparents talking about that church. They talked about that preacher there. What was his name? Randy Caldwell? Uh, No, I don't think that was it. Rufus Johnson? No, I don't think that was it. I don't know, but I remember, I remember them talking about this guy. If I remember right, he was a tall Latino guy. <laughs> and, man, I hope that's the case, <laughs> that they can't even remember my name. But you know what I want them to know? This church is still connecting people to Christ and others. This church is still growing people to maturity in Christ. This, people is still, this church is still serving people in the name of Christ. Those are the things that matter, not them remembering your name or my name. Let's remember what really counts, what really matters. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not saying you can't do anything. He's saying you can't do anything of eternal significance and value apart from being connected to Christ. That's what gives it meaning. That's what gives it value. Because it's those things that last, those things that are eternal. He's not saying the other things don't matter at all. He's not saying they don't count, they're not important. He's saying they don't matter compared to eternity and what you could do to impact eternity. Those are the things that matter the most. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's what you do for the Lord that really matters in eternity. 
with the time that we have here. Those are the things we need to sacrifice for. Those are the things we need to make an investment in above what uh, anything else we invest in. Those are the things we need to give more time and money and resources and talents to than anything else. And yet that's not the picture of the church today. It's not the picture of the members of the church and how we're living our lives today. We're sacrificing so much more for so many other things that don't matter. It's like the meme, you may have seen it on social media, of a guy on his deathbed. He's got his family around him, and they ask him if he has any regrets. He says, the only regret I have is that I didn't argue with more people on social media. You know that's not what matters, right? What are you doing for eternal significance with the time and the money and the talents that God has given you? Are you investing in what really matters? So we need to remember then that, that we need to recognize, acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We need to be realistic about our lives and what really matters in life. But there's a third thing too. and That is, in light of that, we need to focus more on the spiritual and not the material. Verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Friends, this is a problem more for the American church than anywhere else in the world. Because we are so, have so drilled into us our whole lives that life is all about you get a good education, you get a good job, and you work your way up and make a lot of money so you can buy all the stuff. That's life. That's success if you can do that with your life. That makes your life successful if you get to that house, that car, that income, that title, now, again, don't hear this the wrong way. God is not saying any of those things are bad. Remember, those people could do a lot of good, and many of them do make a huge impact in the world. But it's not because of the American dream. It's because they had a bigger dream than the American dream. It's God's dream for our lives. I heard this said the other day from a, a life coach, he said, here's the thing about making a lot of money. If you were a jerk when you were poor, then when you have a lot of money, guess what you're going to be? A jerk with a lot of money. It's not going to change that. But if you are a generous person when you're poor and you end up with a lot of money, what are you going to be when you have a lot of money? Generous person. That's the way it works. And so we need to understand that we've got to focus more on the spirit. He said, he's not saying don't focus at all on the material. You've got to deal with real life and what's going on in real life. But don't make it all about the material stuff in your focus of life. heard the other day that the Harvard fans uh, have a cheer they do at their sporting events when their team is getting beat really badly by another team. Uh, some of you Vanderbilt fans, listen up. I think you may have used this too. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Vanderbilt has beat some other teams uh, that, that were really good. So here's the deal. Harvard's not very good in athletics most of the time, and they came up with this cheer. When they're getting beat really bad, they say, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday. <laughs> but you know what? If that's what it's all about, they've missed it completely. If it's just about winning the economic achievement, 
the career achievement, and that's all your life is about, there's going to come a day where those things don't matter at all. And parents, hear me out. A lot of you are sacrificing greatly for school and sports opportunities or music opportunities or other things for your kids. That's not evil. That's not bad. But when you do that at the expense of being, having them and your family being connected to the Lord's church and the Lord's work, when you sacrifice that for those things, you just made the wrong choice for your children. Big time. Less than 1% of children in athletics will ever make a living at it anyway. But all of them will stand before Jesus one day. All of them. You better make sure you're making the right choices on what you're willing to commit to and sacrifice for and invest in. It's okay to invest in those things, but don't put them above or don't sacrifice the investment in the kingdom of God that you need to be making in the lives of your children ever. So, Matthew 6, 19, Jesus reminded of this, us of this. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be also. He's not saying you can't have a savings account. You can't have a 401K. You can't have a retirement plan. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, is don't neglect investing in the kingdom so that you can have those things because those things will not matter in eternity. But what you invested in the kingdom will. That's what's going to really matter. Now, life on this earth is this long, and life in eternity is this long. Which should get the greater investment? Which should get the greater attention? Which should get the greater focus? The eternal things. In Luke 12, Jesus told this parable because they asked uh, him to settle a dispute between brothers, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told that parable about the guy whose ground was very fertile. He got a big crop, and he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll be fine. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. It's all going to be good. And he said, you fool this night, your life will be required of you. All that investment in the temporary things of this world, and it's going to come to nothing very quickly. Make sure you prioritize the eternal things, the spiritual things, over the material things in your planning. The fourth principle I want to close with is this. Plan for the future, but celebrate today. It's okay to plan for the future, but don't miss what you need to be doing today. Don't miss what God wants you to have today, what God wants you to be doing today while planning for the future, okay? He says in verse 17, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I have so many people tell me, well, yeah, I plan to get involved in the church once I get some stuff done here, once I get a few things organized, once I get past a certain place. I plan to volunteer in the children's ministries, but I need to wait till my kids are older. I need to, I'm going to serve with the youth, but I want to wait till my youth are in the youth program. I'll, I'm going to uh, start giving when I get all my finances in order. I'm going to, we've got all these I'm going to start doing somewhere down the road, right? But the only day you have is what day? Today. What are you doing today? to invest in the work of the kingdom of God. What are you doing today to strengthen the kingdom, the church on the earth today? Are you just coming and taking in or are you giving back? 
and serving and supporting the work. And Psalm 118 verse 24 says this, The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. King James said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, right, and give thanks. It, it's important for us to recognize the value of today because it's the only time you know for sure you're going to have. Is there something you ought to be doing? Is there a change you ought to be making? Is there something you ought to stop doing? Then what's the best day to do it? Today. Because it's the only day you've got for sure. And we don't even know about the rest of the day. We just know we've got right now. Sue Ann and I uh, watched a movie last night that I had not seen, but other people told us how good it was. It was Christopher Robin. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It's about Winnie the Pooh and the story later when Christopher Robin grows up. Uh, and, and it's a great lesson in the movie about not focusing on the wrong things. It's a dad that is so into his work and his job that he's neglecting his marriage and his, his child and, and how Winnie the Pooh reminds him of what really is important. And, and one of the lines in the movie really jumped out to me because I knew I was going to be preaching this morning on this subject. And here's what it said. Christopher Robin is there, and Pooh asked Christopher Robin, what day is it? And Christopher says, it's today. And Pooh says, oh, good, that's my favorite day. Is today your favorite day or are you just thinking about something else tomorrow, something else next week? You know how you make today your favorite day? You recognize it's the day the Lord has made. And he gave it to you as a gift. And you honor him with that day. And you serve him with that day. And you celebrate the gift of today. Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As it has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Friends, today, it's the day God has given us as a gift. If there's any decision you need to make, anything in your life that needs to change, correction, a course of life turning to a different way, whatever it is you need to stop or start or get right with God, today, today's the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today, Today, we've been able to come together as your people and we've been able to encourage each other and, and, and pray for each other and offer praise to you and remember your love for us around this table, the, the blood and the body that was given for us for our sin. Father, we are so grateful for today. But if there's anybody here today, so anybody hearing this message today that, that feels the tugging of your spirit on their heart, that, that a decision needs to be made, a, a choice needs to be made, a change needs to happen. Father, please help them realize that today is the day that you've given them just for that purpose because eternity is so much more important than the temporary things of this world. May we give it the priority that it deserves in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.